I'm delighted that you've made it your decision to be here tonight, and I hope you've brought your Bible with you and eager to study with us as we talk about things that have to do with serving God and going to heaven in the after a while. The elders have asked that I present things that have to do with the first principles of the gospel and that we've been doing all week. Tomorrow night, we'll bring this study to a close by talking about the new birth. And so come back and be a part of that study tomorrow night. You might read John chapter 3, the first 18 verses or so of that chapter, and we'll talk about John 3 and the new birth tomorrow evening. Tonight, we'll be talking about grace, faith, and works. And hopefully, if you haven't been present for some of the others, you can catch up with some of those online as they are available. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace. The Bible also teaches that we're saved by faith. And the Bible also teaches that we are saved by works. Many of our religious friends think those are contradictory statements. And those are statements that cannot be harmonized somehow. That if we say we're saved by faith, that it can't be by grace. And if we say we're saved by grace, it can't be by works. And so the idea is that if the Bible teaches that we're saved by the grace of God, there's no way that it could be by faith. Some think that that's the case. Others would say, well, if the Bible says you're saved by grace, it couldn't be by works. Because grace and works are contradictory to each other. And others would say that if we're saved somehow by faith, that therefore it could not be by works. And so the idea is that if we're saved by one of these, we're not saved by the others, and these must somehow be contradictory to each other. So tonight we want to talk about grace, faith, and works. And how do each of those relate to the other? Is it true that we can be saved by grace and at the same time be saved by faith? And at the same time, be saved by works. So let's begin our study tonight. And I encourage you to get a Bible and follow along. It's going to be a simple study. We're going to be tracing from one passage to another, laying a foundation. Let's start talking about the grace of God. And let's establish the fact that when we talk about the grace of God, the Bible establishes that we are saved by the grace of God. So let's open our Bible to the book of Romans. Then we'll go to Ephesians. And then we'll come to Titus. Romans chapter 3. This is a book about being saved. It is a book about being justified and how one is justified. So let's see what the text says. In Romans 3 and in verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul affirms that we're justified by grace. Let's turn over to the fifth chapter and look at verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound... But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. The only source to eternal life is the grace, indeed, of God. Go to the sixth chapter, if you will, in verse 14 to finish up our references in Romans. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Well, that's just a sampling of those in Romans that talk about salvation by grace. Let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. This is a passage we talked about when we dealt with the blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 and in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Let's go to chapter 2 now, beginning at verse 7. Actually, I want to back up to verse 5. For by grace have you been saved. Now drop down to verse 8 in interest of time. 
For by grace have you been saved through faith. And so Ephesians chapter 2 says we're saved by the grace of God. Let's go now to the book of Titus, if you will. And again, establish that we're saved by the grace of God. And the one reason we're doing this is I'm going to come back to these texts and make a point about the very text that we're reading a little bit later. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God which brings salvation. How does salvation come? It comes by the grace of God. It has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. Now let's drop down to chapter 3, if you will, of Titus. And notice in verse 7, that having been justified by His grace. When all of these passages tell us that indeed we're saved by the grace of God. Now let's talk about what that grace did for us. The grace of God provided a sacrifice. We talked on Monday night about the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, but it was the grace of God that provided that. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 9, we read that by the grace of God, He tasted death for every man. It was the grace of God that allowed Him to die on the cross that we indeed might be saved. You're familiar with John 3 and in verse 16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. While that passage doesn't mention the word grace, it certainly well describes the concept of grace providing a sacrifice. But that's not all. The grace of God also provided a revelation. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, if you'll turn back there, we read in a moment ago in Ephesians, chapter 1, and in chapter 2 about being saved by the grace of God, that same book tells us something about the revelation of God. What did God do? Well, look at chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. He said, How that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, that is, that which was not known to man, but was in the mind of God, as I wrote a foreign few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but has now been revealed to the, by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. So God took that which was in His mind and through the Holy Spirit revealed it unto us, and so God gave us a revelation. Now what's interesting about that is in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he referred to the revelation of God as the word of His grace. I commend you to the word of His grace. So the grace of God not only provided a sacrifice, the grace of God provided us a revelation that tells us about the sacrifice, tells us about the love of God, but also tells us in how we ought to live. We'll see more about that in a passage here in a moment. Now let's wrap up and see what we've seen and add another point. We're saved by the grace of God. The grace of God provided a sacrifice for us. The grace of God provided a revelation, but the grace of God also teaches us how we should live. I said we'd come back to some of these passages, so let's go to Titus chapter 2 if again if with, if with me, if you will. The grace of God which brings salvation, the same grace we're talking about, by which we are saved, the grace of God which bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. We talked last uh, on Monday evening about how the grace of God or the blood of Christ was for all mankind. So the grace of God is for all men. Well, what does it do? Look at verse 12 with me, if you will. Titus chapter 2 and in verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What's his point? 
the grace of God through this revelation teaches us how to live. It teaches us what? Look again at verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Anything that is found in the revelation of God that tells you something is sinful, something is wrong, something is to be avoided, something is worldly, something is ungodly, that's part of the grace of God teaching you. So you see, every time Brother Bunning stands before you teaching a lesson on worldliness and telling you not to be involved in worldliness, that's sinful, don't do that. This is ungodly to be involved in that. That's the grace of God teaching you that. And every time some elder stands before you telling you you ought to live godly and righteous and you ought to treat other people right, that's the grace of God teaching you that. So whether the grace of God is teaching you in a positive way or in a negative way, that's the grace of God teaching you. Every direction of God is part of the grace of God. Now let's give a summary of what we see about the grace of God. Now we see that God saves us by His grace. He provided a sacrifice, gave us a revelation, tells us how to live. But let's give a summary of some of the elements that's involved in the grace of God. The eternal plan of the Father is part of the grace of God. Before the world began, Ephesians 1 says, that God chose us in Him. That was not an arbitrary, unconditional God choosing you, you, and you to be saved. We'll see more about that in a moment. But it is the idea of God devising an eternal plan for our salvation. And when that was done before the world began, that's part of the grace of God. God's plan all along was for His Son to die on the cross for our sins. That is... God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3 and in verse 16. Now we've already noticed in Hebrews 2 and in verse 9, the Son's death. That by the grace of God, He should taste death for everyone. But let's add something else to that. Not only the Son's death, but the Spirit's revelation was part of the grace of God. So there was something the Father did. There was something the Son executed. And there was something that the Spirit has revealed that's all a part of the grace of God. But that's not all. The grace of God also involves His love and His mercy. Let's go back to Titus chapter 3, if you will. And I want you to notice an interesting flow of thought in Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 2, or actually verse 3, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, deceiving and serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, and envy, hateful, and hating one another. We used to be ungodly people. Paul includes himself in that. Now, his point in the context is this, that I was allowed to make a change in my life. How did that happen? How did that happen, Paul? Look at verse 4. You might underline. But when the kindness and love of God, how were you allowed to change? By the kindness of God, by the love of God. Look at verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I didn't deserve this. I didn't work my way out of my sin. But according to, look at verse 5, His mercy, He saved us. How were you allowed to change, Paul? Because of the kindness of God, because of the love of God, nothing that I earn, but by the mercy of God. What does he call all of that? Look at verse 7, that having been justified by His grace. Now I understand from that, that the grace of God includes His love, His mercy, His kindness, and nothing that I earned and nothing that I deserved that allows me to change. But furthermore, the blood that we talked about on Monday night that was shed for our sins. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's part of the grace of God. 
that God's grace provided the revelation, provided the sacrifice, provided the atoning blood. But now let's move and talk about faith. How does faith relate to the concept of grace? Well, let's first of all establish the fact that the Bible also says we are saved by faith. Now, we know that, but let's trace a few passages that will tell us that we're saved by faith. Let's turn to John 5, if you will. In John 5, in verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. You must be a believer in order to have everlasting life. So we're saved by faith. You are familiar with chapter 3 and in verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by his grace, through faith, therefore being justified by faith, therefore being justified by faith, he said in chapter 5 and verse 1. It mentioned grace in chapter 3, chapter 4. But now he mentions being justified by faith, he said in chapter 5. Let's go to chapter 11 in verse 6 of the book of Hebrews where he said, Without faith it is impossible to please him. But those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is the reward of them that diligently seek him. Let's add another passage to that. And that's in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 8. We cited this passage earlier that we're saved by the grace of God. That very same verse says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, what on earth does that have to do with the grace of God? Well, the Bible tells us that grace is conditional. That when God shows His grace to us and extends the favor of God to us, that receiving the benefits of that grace is conditional. Let me illustrate. Let's go to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. This is the taking of the city of Jericho. And you recall in taking the city of Jericho, God said this in verse 2, I have given into thy hand Jericho. You remember that? I have given into thy hand Jericho. That sounds like grace, doesn't it? I'm giving you the city of Jericho. What had they done to deserve the city of Jericho? Nothing. What had they done to earn the city of Jericho? Not a thing. God said, I have given into thy hand Jericho. But you'll recall in the context of Joshua chapter 6, they had to march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around the city and blow trumpets and shout. And then the walls fell down flat. That is, the grace of God was conditional upon their marching around the city. But it's at another passage. Romans 4, 16. Now remember Romans 5 says, therefore, that we're justified by faith. Being justified by faith. Back up on chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. There is a connection between grace and faith. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace, Paul said. Let's go one more passage. Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 9. Remember, he tasted death for everyone. There was the grace of God. Same book, same book, same author. Let's go over to chapter 5. Christ, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Do you see the matter of grace in chapter 2? The matter of faith or obedience in chapter 5. Let's go back to chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. By grace are you saved. You've been saved, verse 5. By grace are you saved through faith. There is a connection between grace and faith. So here's what we've seen. 
We've seen that we're saved by faith and grace is conditional. But let us understand that salvation by faith is not faith alone. How do I know? Many in our religious world believe in salvation by faith alone. All you have to do is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you would be saved. And in their church manuals, they'll talk about salvation by faith alone. That faith alone saves. Well, let's open our Bibles to James chapter 2 and in verse 24. We're going to spend some time there a little bit later. But suffice it now to say that James said, you see how that by works a man is justified. Are you reading with me now? You see how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now, James says it is not by faith alone. So when the Bible says I'm saved by faith, I see grace is conditional. But I'm about to conclude from that that when Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, that it means faith alone. Because James says it is not by faith alone. But let's go a step further. Let us consider that if salvation comes by faith alone, then there would be no repentance then. If someone says, you know what, I believe in salvation by faith alone. Does that mean you don't have to repent? Well, quite often they'll say, oh, I think you have to repent. Well, then you don't believe in salvation by faith alone. It can't be by faith alone and you add repentance with that. That doesn't work. So you're saying then you're saved without repentance, and yet God commands all men everywhere to repent, didn't he? Acts 17, 30, and 31. And if salvation is by faith alone, then there would be, and I put in quotations, calling, as per their definition of calling. Remember we talked last evening how that many of our religious friends think calling on the name of the Lord means you pray through and you convince the Lord to save you. You say the sinner's prayer. If I'm saved by faith alone, then I don't have to pray the sinner's prayer. If I'm saved by faith alone, there is no calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, no, I think you have to call on the name of the Lord. I think you have to repent. Well, then it's not by faith alone. But let's go to Romans chapter 10. I want to demonstrate something to you from the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. And let's pick up where we left off last evening. We made part of this point last evening. We're going to add another point to it this evening. I want you to see that sometimes the Bible uses this word faith or believe to stand for obedience. It's a figure of speech. It refers to a part standing for the whole. Sometimes the Bible mentions part of something to stand for the whole series of something. And I'll give you another evidence of that here in just a moment. So sometimes when the Bible talks about faith, it is not meaning faith alone, but it stands for anything else that's involved in obedience. Let me give you an example of that right here in Romans 10. Let's go back to verse 13. This is where we were last evening. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember that? Now what Paul's point is, They didn't do what they could have done. So what does he say? Look at verse 16. For they have not all called. That's what his point is, but that's not what he said. To prove that they didn't call on the name of the Lord, he said they have not all obeyed the gospel. You might circle the word called as we did last evening. Verse 13, circle the word obeyed and they are synonymous and draw a line between them. They're synonymous in this context, but let me show you another word. Look at verse 16 again. Quite often in Paul's writing, he defends what he says by quoting a scripture that makes his very point. And so in verse 16, I want you to notice that what he does is he quotes from Isaiah 53, 1. And what Isaiah said, he did not, Isaiah did not use the word call. 
Isaiah did not use the word believe or the word obey, but he used another word that said the same thing. What did Isaiah say? Lord who hath, here's your word, believed our report. Do you see his point? In order to show they didn't call, he says they didn't obey. And in order to show that they didn't obey, he quotes a passage that says they didn't believe. You know what that means? That means that term belief stands for the obedience and stands for calling on the name of the Lord as per the context. So what I'm trying to establish before you is the fact that sometimes this word belief simply stands for obedience. Let me illustrate that with Acts 11, 18. When Peter went to Jerusalem and defended his association with the Gentiles, and he told about the miracles that took place at the household of Cornelius, remember what they said? What the Jews responded? Then hath God granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. Why did he mention repentance? Why didn't he mention faith? Why didn't he mention baptism? Why didn't he mention confession of faith? Because he's using the word repentance in Acts eleven eighteen to stand for obedience, isn't he? Would anyone argue faith is not necessary? Would anyone argue repentance alone without faith? All you have to do is repent. You don't even have to believe. You just have to make a change of your mind and you can be saved. Because it's repentance unto life. Nobody would argue that, would they? But that's all that's mentioned in Acts eleven eighteen. That's a part standing for the whole. Well, the same thing is true back over here in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. So when the Bible talks about we're saved by faith, that doesn't mean faith alone. Any more than repentance here means repentance alone. And so what have we seen about salvation by faith? We're saved by faith. Grace is conditional. And we're not saved by faith alone. Let's turn and talk about works. We have an understanding of what grace involves. We have an understanding of how faith relates to grace. Let's talk about the principle of works. Let's establish the fact, as we have with the previous two points, the Bible says we're saved by works. Let's turn to Acts 2 and verse 40. We were there last night in the conversion of the 3,000. So in Acts 2 and in verse 40, Peter said, doesn't use the word works, but he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That sounds like works, doesn't it? There's something you're to do yourself. Well, if you don't think that says something about works, I know Acts 10.35 does. This is where Peter was preaching to the household of Cornelius. He said, God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth God and worketh righteousness. Peter says you need to work righteousness in order to be saved. Sound to me like you're saved by works. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation. That refers to a math concept of working it out to its full end like you work out a math problem till it's done. Work it all the way out to it's finished. So work out your own salvation. Well, there's one more passage on the screen, and that's James 2 and verse 24. You see how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So all of those passages, just like the passages on faith and grace say, that we're saved by works. Well, let's look at something else. The Bible also says we're not saved by works. Let's turn to these passages and get a, get a reading of those just for a moment. And then we'll try to make sense of all of those. Romans chapter 3, if you will, and in verse 28. Here's a passage that says we're not saved by works. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds, New King James says. One translation says the works of the law. I know that's what the deeds refer to because verse 27 calls them works. 
Well, let's look at another passage. Look at Ephesians 2 and in verse 9. Remember, we've been citing Ephesians 2. You're saved by grace, verse 5. Verse 8 says you're saved by grace through faith. But now this time in verse 9, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Because we're not saved by works. Saved by grace through faith, but not works. Well, let's turn to one more passage along that line. In Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. And it's not by the works of the law, but by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So here we have passages that say we are saved by works. And here are passages that say we're not saved by works. Now, let's add something to that. Let's show that there are different kinds of works that are mentioned in the Bible. Many of our religious friends, when they tell us, you know, the Bible says you're not saved by works. Their very statement leaves the impression that when the Bible talks about works, it's always talking about the same kind of work. But there are different kinds of works that the Bible talks about. For example, and I'll hurriedly go through this list because we're going to differentiate in just a few moments. The Bible talks about the works of man's own righteousness, not by works of righteousness which we have done, Ephesians 2, Titus 3, 5. Both passages say we're not saved by works of our own righteousness. So there is such a thing of works of my own righteousness where I earn and I merit salvation. That's one type of work. Romans and Galatians talks about works of the law of Moses. If you're still open to the book of Galatians chapter 2 verse 16, the text says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. In the context, he's talking about the works of the law of Moses. Because this is in the midst of Paul's rebuke of Peter for not associating with the Gentiles. That's what this is about. That you're acting like Peter, that, that uh, we still have to keep the law. Well, we're not justified by the works of the law, he said. Same point in Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he thanked God for their work of faith. There is such a thing as a work of faith. Well, God has created us unto good works, Ephesians 2 and in verse 10. We're to be zealous for good works, Titus 2.14. So there are good works. Now, this one's interesting that there are such a thing as a work of God. This is the work of God that you believe. There's some works of the devil, but there's a work of God. We'll come back to that passage in a moment. And then there's works of God's righteousness. Cornelius was told, he that worketh righteousness is accepted of him. So all I'm trying to establish here is there are different kinds of works. That when the Bible says you're saved by works and not saved by works, it's not always talking about the same kind of work. So let's differentiate between those and make some sense of that. Let's talk about the, the kind of work by which we are not saved. So when the Bible says you are not saved by works, the context, listen to me carefully, the context will always bear out the kind of work that is under consideration. The Bible doesn't just blankly say we're not saved by works, period, end of sentence, nothing in the context. There's always something in the context to tell me the kind of work under consideration. So let's go back now to Romans 3 and verse 28. We've already looked at Galatians 2 and in verse 16. Go back to Romans 3. Romans 3 is quite often cited. Romans 4 is quite often cited as evidence we're not saved by works. Let's see the kind of works under consideration. Look at verse 27. Where then is boasting? By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds or the works of the law. The law of Moses is under consideration in the context. 
So we are not saved by works of the law. That is, we don't go back under the Old Testament law and keep those in order to be justified. The only way to be justified by the law of Moses, Leviticus 18.5 said, to keep the law perfectly. No one ever did that except the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not saved by man's own righteousness. Let's go to Titus 3.5. We came across that passage just a moment ago. Remember, the kindness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God in the context. Remember all of those expressions? Synonymous with that in Titus 3 and in verse 5, I want you to notice he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Paul was talking about how he was allowed to change from being an an ungodly, hateful individual to becoming a, a Christian and a child of God. How were you allowed to change? Not be anything that I deserve. So we're not saved by men's righteousness, nor are we saved by dead works, sinful actions. But the Bible does say we are saved by certain kinds of works, like what? Look at John 6. If you're so disposed to mark something in your Bible, remember this passage and mark it. Write it down and remember this. When somebody tells you that we are not saved by works, they are saying you're not saved by faith. Because faith itself is a work. Have you thought about that? So how do you know? All right, let's read. Look with me at John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God that you believe. When you have faith and when you believe, that's a work of God. Someone said, I don't believe you're saved by any work. You just eliminated faith is what you did. There's no such thing as faith then. You're not saved by faith. Oh, yes, I believe in salvation by faith. I just don't believe in salvation by works. Faith is a work. So if we're saved by faith, we're saved by one of the works of God. That is a work of God that you believe. Who called it a work of God? Jesus did. Let's go back to Acts 10 and verse 35. We work God's righteousness. That is the works that are revealed in the revealed will of God. Every nation, in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. You won't be accepted of God unless you work righteousness. That's not something you earn. That's obedience to the gospel. We've already talked about the good works in Ephesians chapter 2. And again, the Thessalonians were involved in the work of faith. And Paul was thankful for their work of faith. And so are we saved by works? The answer is Yes. Are we saved by works? The answer is no. It's not contradictory when I understand that we're not saved by works of our own righteousness. We're not saved by the works of the law, but we are saved by the works that are found revealed in God's word that he's told us to do and that he's told us to perform. Now I want to spend some time harmonizing Romans 4 with James chapter 2. And you might turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4 to begin with. And as we talk about harmonizing those... I might suggest to you that Romans 4 is a passage that deals with the fact that we are justified by faith and not by works. Abraham is presented as an example of one who is justified by faith apart from the works. James 2 is talking about one being justified by works and not by faith alone. And one who may have just a smattering knowledge of the Scriptures may think we have a contradiction between Romans 4 and James 2. One is saying you're saved by faith and not works. And the other is saying you're saved by faith, by works and not by faith alone. 
And so they think we have a contradiction. So we have to harmonize the text. So some of our religious friends attempt to harmonize that, and here's how they have harmonized that. They tell us that Romans 4 is addressing the alien sinner. And James chapter 2 is addressing the Christian. So when the text says you're not saved by faith alone, that's not talking about becoming a Christian. That doesn't apply there. We are saved by faith alone. That doesn't apply to the non-Christian. It only applies to living the Christian life. We're not saved by faith alone as a Christian. But as when you're becoming one, you are saved by faith alone, they tell us. So how do I become a Christian? Well, you go back to Romans and you go to Romans 3 and Romans 4. You're saved by faith and not by works. Is that what the text is talking about? Let's see. So let's open our Bibles to Romans 4. Let's go to Romans 4. Romans 4 is illustrating the point that we saw in chapter 3. The point in chapter 3 was that we're saved by faith and not by the deeds of the law of Moses. That was the point of chapter 3. The context of the book of of chapter 4 is justification by faith, being justified by faith. The point surely does not merely apply to the alien sinner because Abraham was a man in a covenant relationship when the events of chapter 4 are being discussed. So what is the point of Romans chapter 4? The point of Romans chapter 4, let's begin reading at verse 2. For Abraham was justified by works. He has something of, if he were justified by works, he had something to boast. And what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and he was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are counted as grace, not as grace, or not counted as grace, but debt. What's his point? The same point we saw in chapter 3. He's emphasizing justification by faith apart from the deeds and the works of the law of Moses. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham being justified by faith apart from his works. Beginning at verse 9, Abraham is justified by faith apart from circumcision. Beginning at verse 13, the promise to Abraham was not through the law. We don't have time to fully develop chapter 4. But that's the point being made in Romans chapter 4. Let's go to James chapter 2. What's the context? The context has to do with faith and works. It has to do with an obedient faith. Surely the principles of Romans chapter or James chapter 2 do not merely apply to the Christian. Because Ahab or Rahab is mentioned in the context. And surely she was not one in a covenant relationship with God. So what's the point of James chapter 2? One is justified by an obedient faith. Our purpose here is not to give you a thorough understanding of Romans chapter 4. Time would fail us to do that. Or a thorough understanding of James chapter 2. Time would fail us to do that. But to see that they do harmonize and they're not in contrast to each other. And that here is a passage that says we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law of Moses. Here's another passage, not talking about the same principle, but we're justified by an obedient faith. And that obedient faith involves works. They are not contradictory, but indeed they harmonize. So in the closing part of our study, let's take a number of examples. From the Old and then New Testament, where we see the matter of grace, faith, and works all coming together in the same event. So let's go back to the case of Noah. The text tells us concerning Noah's salvation, being saved by in the ark, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6 and in verse 8. Now, who could deny that grace was involved? Would anyone deny? I don't think there was any grace involved at all when God put him in the ark and saved him and brought him to the new land. 
Certainly the grace of God was involved. Was faith involved? Well, let's see. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 7, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear. Was he saved by the grace of God? Because Noah came from the old world to the new, as Peter would describe it. Certainly the grace of God was involved. Was there faith involved? Paul, by inspiration, said there was faith involved. Were there any works involved? Well, our very text in Hebrews 11 said he prepared an ark to the saving of his household. Can you see in the case of Noah, there was harmony between grace, faith, and works? And how absurd to say, well, if, if, Abraham, if, if Moses, uh, Noah was a man who had to have faith, then it means it wasn't by grace. Or if there was grace, he didn't have to do any works. He found grace in the eyes of God. But he had faith and responded to what God told him to do. And he had to build an ark. There's work involved. Let's take Abraham. You remember the promise in Genesis chapter 12 that God was going to take him to a land that he would show him. That was one of the three promises that was made in Genesis 12. Who would deny and say there is no grace of God that's involved in that? Certainly, though the term grace is not used in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. We understand that was involving the grace of God of him bringing him to a land and giving him a land. What had Abraham done to deserve that? What had he done to earn that land? The grace of God was involved. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that afterward he would receive as an inheritance. Was it a matter of grace? Certainly so. Did he have faith? He responded with faith. Was there any works involved? Look at verse 9. By faith he sojourned. He had to leave and he had to sojourn and travel to the land that God promised to give him. There was grace involved. There was faith involved. There were works that were involved. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, if you will, the 14th division. And you remember the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt and crossing through the Red Sea. Now, who would deny that that was a matter of the grace of God? If we thought perhaps it wasn't the grace of God, we could look back at chapter 14, if you will, of the book of Exodus in verse 13, that Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That certainly was the salvation given by God. It was a matter of the grace of God. Was faith involved? Let's go back to the book of Hebrews, if you will, chapter 11, and notice in verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Oh, but they didn't have to do any works. Oh, yes, they did. They had to pass and march through the Red Sea, didn't they? Can you see that grace and faith and works harmonized? Here's another example. We already talked about the taking of the city of Jericho. Joshua 6 and in verse 2, God said, I have given into thy hands Jericho. That was certainly a matter of the grace of God. Hebrews 11 and in verse 30, the Hebrew writer said, by, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Were there any works involved? I didn't read the rest of the verse. It said, after they encircled for seven days, they marched around seven days. There were works involved. Can you see? There was grace. There was faith. And there was works. Let's take the case of Naaman. Second Kings chapter 5. And in verse 10. The man of God, Elisha, came out and told him that he would be cleansed. 
and that he would be uh, that he would be purified and be restored, and his flesh would be restored whole as it was. That was certainly a matter of the grace of God. Who could deny that? Was there faith involved? Was there faith involved? Second Kings chapter five fourteen told him to go dip seven times, and he responded and did exactly what God said through Elisha. Were there works involved? Did he just believe, you know what, I think the river of Jordan will work. And I think if I dip seven times, that's going to take care of it. It wasn't until he acted in his works and he dipped seven times that he was made clean. But let's add one more to that, and that is man today. That's you and that's me. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're saved by grace. You're saved by grace, verse 5. Verse 8 says, for by grace are you saved. We're saved by the grace of God. No one would surely deny that we're saved by the grace of God. Is faith involved? Same verse, same verse, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. Any works involved in that? Christ is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him, the text says. And so you see in every case, whether we're talking about Noah, Or whether we're talking about Abraham or Israel or Joshua or Naaman or us today. There is harmony between grace and faith and works. What have we seen in our study tonight? We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by faith and we're saved by works. And we see a harmony between passages like Romans 4 and James 2. And any other passage that says you're saved by grace. You're saved by faith. You're saved by works. There is harmony. There is no disarray in those passages. But we're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by faith. And we're saved by works. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? If you're not a Christian, then you need to be saved by the grace of God. You need to be saved by faith. And yes, you need to be saved by works, by obedient works. Would you respond this evening? The grace of God has provided salvation. The grace of God has shed the blood of Christ. The grace of God has taught you. The grace of God has instructed you. You are to respond in faith. Respond. As Peter said to the household of Cornelius, every man that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Would you do that this very evening? Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?